Welcome back to Everything is Public Health, our Public Health Explained series. Yay. I'm MJ. I'm Cass. How many COVID tests have you taken? Oh, okay. Clarifying question. Yes. Like actual like doctor's office ones or rapid tests? Every or test. Every type of test. Oh, gosh. Um, I think I can safely say like 15. Oh, wow. At least. <laughs> Wait, is it for your work? No, no, no. Well, everything with my dad's surgery oh, and the right. donation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to get tested like a gajillion times okay. for stuff. I have four. <laughs> And then, like, I have kids. So kids are little carrier monkeys, and they bring, even teenagers are little carrier monkeys, and they bring stuff home, and then, you know, just good public health practice, do a COVID test. That's very fair, and I encourage people to also test often. I have also been to some events where they required you to do a rapid test, at least. Like, I went to a wedding, everybody did a rapid test, I was just at a yeah our faculty retreat. It wasn't required, but our department chair was like, hey, we're public health people, we're going to be in a room together. Like, why don't you be cool and do a COVID test? Hopefully so. everybody was cool. I hope so. You probably had the whole gamut of like types of tests. I only had two tests, the home kits and then the up your nose. But you probably had like all sorts of tests done. I have I have had the antibody test done too before the vaccine. But yeah, so I've, I've had most of the ways it could be done, like PCR. The one kind I didn't do, I never had the spit test. I never had that. I think that's pretty rare, I think. Most people don't use the well, spit Hopkins test. Well, Hopkins is the... Sp- oh, really? Yeah, if you are there, like the asymptomatic testing okay. that they were requiring students to do, okay. um, you would spit in a tube. So I think at this point in the pandemic, most of us are no longer strangers to testing, which is in itself an important public health thing. I will definitely dedicate an episode about monitoring and testing. Today, we're going to dip our toes... Or maybe just one toe into some biostatistics today. <laughs> part of a toe. To look into some concepts behind this whole testing uh, shenanigans. Now, to start, some basic terms. If you're paranoid like me, when I got my negative test, my first thought, this was like peak pandemic, like four months in. When I got my first negative test back, my first thought was false negatives. There's no way I have COVID. <laughs> I needed to get tested again. And these terms like false negatives and false positive gets tossed around a lot during COVID. Right. So what does this mean? What does it mean when you hear it in the news or when... And you're like MJ and you freak out and and it (laughs) flitters through your brain. Uh, So false negative means that you actually are positive, but your test tells you that it's negative. Or conversely, a false positive is your test comes back saying, yes, you have this when you actually don't. And that's different from a true positive where your test says you have it and you do. And a true negative where your test says you don't have it and you actually don't. Right. And these are concerning for two reasons. The false negative and the false positive are concerning for two reasons. False positive, because if you tell somebody they have a thing and they don't, that can cause a lot of trauma and anxiety. In the context of COVID, maybe not a big deal. But if you wrongly tell somebody that they have cancer, big deal. Um, Also concerning, you tell somebody they don't have something when they do. Maybe obviously problematic for something like cancer, but in the grand scheme, maybe not like the worst kind of false positive or false negative. Bad false negative, something that is communicable, meaning you have it and can give it to other people. And then you think you don't have it and you go spread it around. Right. So there are some different implications for false negatives and false positives. So both of these concepts are very important when it comes to testing. So the next natural question is why do false negatives and false positives happen? 
uh, haven't we figured out with our superior science and medicine, like how to have accurate tests? And to put it simply, tests are like humans. They're just not perfect, right? And depending on what type of test, there's different range of how good a test is. But, you know, just we're not going to go into the science of like every single test out there. They're just not perfect. There's trade-offs, right? There can be a near-perfect test for something, but it might be exceptionally invasive or it might be really, really expensive. And that is very hard to roll out in mass to folks. Um, so sometimes we accept less perfect tests that are cheaper and get you a good enough proportion of appropriate sort of false positive, false negative, true positive, true negative ratios that you're comfortable saying, okay, we can distribute this out to the larger population. They're simple. They can do them on their own, yeah. right? So it's, it's a trade-off because as much as we might want a perfect test, it's often not feasible. Yeah, this happens in, in medicine too. So a lot of time clinicians will diagnose via symptoms because to actually confirm that you have something oftentimes require a biopsy, which is very invasive. And depending on what you have, it's totally not worth it for you to do a biopsy. So sometimes you're just diagnosed via symptoms. Right. Nobody wants a chunk cut out of your body randomly for something that might not help. So when we talk about how good a test is, we can talk about two different dimensions of how good a test is. And these two dimensions are basically representative of two different ways a test could be messed up. So for example, if you have COVID and you did this test and the test tells you that you actually don't have COVID, that is a false negative. The other way the test could mess up is if you are told that you have something and you actually don't. So you take a COVID test, it says, oh my gosh, you have COVID, and turns out you actually don't have COVID. Given these two options, we can describe how good a test is two different ways. One way is how good is the test at identifying someone who actually have the thing. Has. Has the thing. (laughs) Of everyone with COVID, how often is this test correctly saying Yes, this individual has COVID. This is sensitivity. Right. Sensitivity. Can we properly identify the people who have the thing? And as we were saying before, we can get close to 100%, Mm -hmm. but that is expensive or invasive and hard to roll out to lots of people. And so often we have to say, okay, we'll take something that has a lower level of sensitivity in order to be able to distribute it widely. Right. Now, here's a thought experiment. Let's say there's a test that says positive for everyone that comes in, regardless of whether they actually have COVID around. So no matter what, it will always say positive. The sensitivity of this test is 100%. Because it correctly identifies everyone that does have COVID. But in reality, this test would suck. Right. Because you're creating a bunch of people who don't have COVID, but think they do. Those are those false positives. Right. So the other side of the quality of a test is the specificity. So we were just talking about sensitivity. Can you identify correctly who has a thing? Specificity says of the people who don't have COVID, did the test correctly identify them as not having COVID, a true negative? So same thing here. If we run a test and every time it tells us it's negative, it would have great specificity. In fact, it would have 100% specificity, but it would also suck because you're just generating a bunch of false negatives. Like people with COVID getting a negative result and just roaming around. Uh, Ideally, you want both to be high. Right. And so we think about these in conjunction. We almost never talk about only sensitivity or only specificity because we want to think about correctly identifying true positives and balancing that out with correctly identifying true negatives. And that is the key. So, MJ, Mm -hmm. 
How do we improve the sensitivity or specificity of the test? I'm so glad you asked. So the sensitivity and specificity of the test are tied to the nature of the test. They are the characteristic of that test, if you will, whether it's a PCR, rapid test, an antigen, or uh, I'm sure there are others, <laughs> whatever. But the way to improve the sensitivity and specificity is to improve the test itself, which is science and research and medicine and all that stuff. In a public health scenario, we don't have the time or luxury to go to the scientists and say, hey, can you improve this test? Because that usually takes months, if not years. There is a quick way, however, for public health personnel to improve the numbers in certain ways, and that is multiple tests. Right. So if you had two tests that you took, if you test positive on one, you could be considered positive. Or you could say, actually, we want to be a little bit more certain, mm -hmm. and then you would need to test positive on both to be considered positive. So these are some ways that we might be able to use what's available to us to either have some certainty or a high level of certainty or sensitivity to know who's positive. Yeah. So it's a little hard to wrap your mind around, but basically if you want to minimize false negatives, i.e. I want to capture as many true positives as possible. And I don't care as much. Well, you still care. I don't care as much about perhaps a false positive. I just want to make sure that I capture everyone. Then you want to screen by saying, I'm going to give you two tests. And even if you're positive on one of them, I'm going to count you as positive. That's how you would increase your capture rate. But if you, in contrast, want to minimize false positives, mm -hmm. right? So maybe not for COVID, which is a little bit less concerning of a false positive, but maybe for something terrifying like cancer, you would require that both tests are positive, and that's going to improve our specificity, meaning that we're more likely to identify true negatives mm -hmm. by requiring both tests to be positive to consider you a positive. Right. And now for some biostats that we won't get into, uh, by prioritizing one approach, which is both positive over or versus one positive, you're sacrificing the other, right? So for biostats reason that if you want to learn more, I, I encourage you to take a biostats class, but I'm not <laughs> going to explain it here. Basically, those two concepts are related. If you minimize false positive, you're naturally going to get a little bit more false negative or vice versa. If you minimize more false negative, you're naturally going to get more false positive. And it really depends on what the situation is, right? Is it COVID? Is it cancer? Like, depends on what the situation is. Right. We have to accept some trade-offs. We can't have something that is perfectly specific and perfectly sensitive because these things are related. And really, what you accept in terms of the level of sensitivity or the level of specificity has to do with the severity of a false positive versus a false negative. What harms to the individual and the community or the family would happen if an individual was wrongly told they had something when they don't or was wrongly told they don't have something when they do. And really, it's thinking about what it, what it is, right? You would think about this differently in the context of COVID. You'd think about it differently in the context of HIV, cancer, etc. Yeah. And uh, there are slight nuances with whether the two tests are done sequentially or simultaneously. So for example, do I give you two tests up front or do I give you one? And then depending on your results of the first one, I give you another one. And there are statistical differences that, uh, again, if you want to learn more about, I encourage you to apply for a public health degree or some biostats classes, but we won't be going into that today. Another thing that we need to consider is resources. And this is, this is a thing that me and partner Angela often debate about, which is when should you get a test? To me, as a public health person, like 
if I am exposed, even though I'm asymptomatic, I will want to get a test. But to her, who's working in the medical field, she thinks that no, if you're asymptomatic, that's a waste of resources because she is more in tune with working in the ICU and just more in tune with hospitals are running low on stuff. So a slight there's some differences in perspective. But when we think about public health stuff, we also need to think about resources. And therefore, that would change on how we approach how we test mass testing of people. Right. And I think this is a very different conversation if we were at the height of COVID and tests were just becoming available and we had people hoarding the rapid tests or going to get a, you know, a PCR test all the time because they were concerned about exposures. You know, now it's it's a different you can get these anywhere. They're widely available. You can get appointments pretty much anytime. And so I think the the context around the burden and the general availability of the tests are also an important consideration. Didn't they just announce that they're not going to send out free tests anymore? Or that was a while ago, I guess. I don't know. I have got two sets of free tests. And the second time we got more tests than we did the first time around. There's so much more available now. And like most pharmacies have them and you can get them paid for by your insurance. And so just sort of shifting the burden. That makes sense. This will be a first in the Public Health Explained series. We will preview the next installment of this series. And so today we talked about sensitivity and specificity. Next time we will talk about positive predictive value and negative predictive value, which are related, but a little bit different. So just a little sneak peek and uh, fun stuff behind those two terms. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health, our new Public Health Explained series, although it's not new anymore, but um, it's still relatively new. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health and some of these cool terms behind public health. Yes, new episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps the show immensely. Send us questions or comments or new topics you want us to explain to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. This episode is brought to you by not drinking bottled water if you can help it. Bottled water is not special in any way. It's just water, folks. It's just water. Uh, Filtered water and tap water works fine. (laughs) You can also fill up a reusable water bottle with your Yes, that too, right? Bottled water is not special. I don't know why people are obsessed with them. Follow us on Twitter at everythingisph or Instagram at everythingispublichealth. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Krafasi. More information regarding this episode can be found in the show notes below. Listeners, please visit our website, which is also our Patreon page for all major updates and bonus material. We are 100% patron supported in that we do this not for the big paychecks and sponsors, but for the love of public health and listeners like you. If you want to support the show directly, you can support us on our Patreon page. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.